Episode 22 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm Justin Mosquito. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at 4Vert. Say what's to the people, Charles. I messed that up. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> what's up to the good people's Twitter.com? We are now six days out from the draft. We have a little Friday uh, episode this week because, I don't know, we just decided to do it on Friday this week. Uh, but I think the most important thing we need to touch on first, or not important thing, but the the most striking thing that happened this week was uh, Aaron Hernandez's death in his prison cell. And there were a lot of hot takes on, I guess, you know, did he deserved to die or whatever you want to say. And I'm not here to to cleanse his past or anything, but it's just kind of weird. Like, how can you have such a strong take on this? He, he's been, he's pretty much been dead to the public for four years now. You know, like, it was weird to see people have such visceral reactions when he hasn't existed to us in a long time. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know, man. Like if you, if you're like this dude, if you think this dude killed three dudes and you're happy that he's off earth, like, I mean, I understand that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I, I don't think that's a super hot take, but like people just being so mad about it is like super, like, very confusing. And then having that juxtaposed to like, you know, Gronkowski walking into like Spicer, right? Like yeah. that happened on the same day. Like that, I don't. There was there. I don't know, man. There's a lot going on, and then like every single Hernandez story. Like you go listen to Albert Breer's podcast. Albert Breer talks about how Hernandez, I think after the first shooting, went up to Belichick and was like, I think like he he met him in Indianapolis uh, during the combine and was like, Hey, I I want to be traded. Like I just don't want to be around Boston anymore, and how he had like his hood up and looked like all suspicious. Like I, there's a lot of like retroactive stuff that's happening with this too. Right. Where people are just like, he had his hood up and looked worried. And I'm like, I've had my hood up several times in my life. Please don't think I'm a murderer. <laughs> yeah. But, but <laughs> another thing that I thought was interesting was I feel like this, this was the first time that he was kind of publicly vilified or like treated as a villain. Because when that stuff first happened, it was like, we just kind of treat it as a joke. I feel like because I people remember got jo- people, people get had- jokes off like last week. Yeah, and there were there were jokes like the Madden twenty five to life cover with him on it, uh, and just you know all these shooter memes and stuff like that. And we didn't really look at it like, okay, this dude killed a guy, and he probably killed two other people. So I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that he was a famous football player that kind of added a bit of. Uh, humor to it for some reason, for some odd reason. But this was kind of this is the first time that I really noticed people having like a stark, angry reaction to Hernandez. And I was like, why was nobody like this mad four years ago? Why does it take this to be to be mad? And I don't know, it, it, the whole reaction over the like the whole timeline from I guess his entrance to Florida to this week is just bizarre. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's very weird. And then like, there's really like, because you'll hear you'll hear that like, people can't even get certain facts straight. So like, people will talk about Aaron Hernandez, and they'll be like, he came from a middle class home. He didn't need to do this, right? And then you'll have other people in media who are like, he came from a troubled past, right? And the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But the thing is, we like those stories weren't talked about. Like I remember there was some like, when when the tri- this past trial was happening right like crazy facts were coming out and like there were things that like the national media like had just never poked their head around for years right like it was just kind of like hernandez is a thing and we don't really want to talk about it and when he does get talked about it's just jokes yeah and i i do think that i was talking about this a few weeks ago when i don't know we just talking about hernandez on the timeline but for some reason i guess being a professional football player kind of negates the impact of whatever you do off the field. And I, I think that's like be, I, I think talent level is, is heavily correlated with that. So you look at uh, Tom Brady and the, the 
the Make America Great hat, Make America Great Again hat. And, you know, he didn't really catch that much flack for me, but he's, but he's Tom freaking Brady. What are you going to do? And then you look at, uh, I guess, what happened to Colin Kaepernick this past season. And the first thing people say is, oh, how about you don't get beat up by Blaine Gabbert before you, I guess, uh, kneel and do all the process stuff. And even when he uh, donated all that food to Somalia, people were like, oh, why don't you just go move to Somalia then? And, and it, it's it's really kind of weird to see talent level be, uh, I guess, a filter for what people will think about you and your off-the-field activities. And I think Hernandez is a great example of that too because he was so good, man. Like, he was absolutely incredible in uh, that H-back role and even play some running back for the Patriots. So when the news broke that he was being charged with murder, it was just jokes on jokes on jokes. And I, I think that is because he was a he was a really good football player. But that was just me kind of rambling a little bit. So, like, here's one thing I'll say about that. Like, Hernandez was good to the point that it's 2017 and Bob McKinn just came out with this wide receiver and tight end, like, scout piece, right? And people were comparing guys to Aaron Hernandez. Like, he's an Aaron Hernandez type. Um, that's got to stop, right? Like we we can find, we like Jordan Reed isn't that far away. You know what I mean? Like we can call him like a wing guy or something like that. Like we we don't have to keep going with Aaron Hernandez type for like the rest of time, right? Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. It, it's just I can't wait for the thirty for thirty. I'm okay, I'm still okay with the Aaron Hernandez comps. All right, let's go. Let let's go to a different topic. Uh, Deshaun Deshaun Kaiser is as crazy as Bruce Arians, man. Yeah, I I I I've, I thought that the. The uh, quote he had was cool at first, but I've 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 got some takes on it now. You want to read what he said? Uh, I can get you the gist of it, but as as uh, par for the course, right? Uh, I don't have it open. Okay. He pretty much he compared himself to Tom Brady and Cam Newton. Yeah, I have Tom Brady's brain in Cam Newton's body. That's the headline from Pro Football Talk. Good lord. Um, and it, it, at first I thought, you know, oh, you know, this is cool. I, I really like it when people are competitive like this and really, uh, I, I guess exude confidence, but that it was kind of weird because that's I, after I thought about it a little bit more and we talked, we talked about this in our, one of our chats today with Stoner, that's kind of like the opposite of, of who he's been painted to be. And you know, he's been painted as a guy who's not confident and has confidence issues. And then he said what he said, uh, which was really bold. And it was a good quote. It was a great quote. But then he comes back. Oh, Jesus. But then he comes back uh, today or even yesterday after the quote was uh, released and he he backtracked immediately. So that kind of that kind of made me. He's going to get hit with fake tough guy. See, yeah, that, that's what it, that's what it feels yeah. like. What do you think? Um, I I think it's I th- I think my favorite part, and no one's talked about it yet, is that he's looking at at you know NFL MVP Cam Newton who went fifteen and one, and it's like, oh, what a waste of talent. He's just looking at straight into the that romper, and it was like, man, if you had my head, swear to God. Yeah, that was really bold and. <laughs> Like, here's the thing is, like, that's that's cool that he said that. But as a Packers fan, I can tell you. So B.J. Coleman was drafted in the seventh round at Tennessee Chattanooga, right? He was a quarterback. After Aaron Rodgers had already won an MVP award, after he had already won the Super Bowl, after he had already taken a team to 15-1 and won, and came out to the media and said, I told Ted Thompson that I'm going to be his greatest draft pick ever. And I think he last – like, I don't think he ever threw a ball for, you know, the Packers. Like, it, like you know – Everyone can talk. Everyone can talk. Yeah. Uh, so here's a quote, if you haven't heard it, from uh, Deshaun Kaiser. Name a college quarterback who goes into the game plan meetings on Monday and throws his notes at the coaches. No one else game plans the way I do. No one else prepares the way I do. No one else knows football the way I do. No one else is as big as I am. No one else is as powerful a runner as I am. Pat Mahomes might throw the ball 80 yards and I can only throw the ball 72, but I guarantee he can't throw an out route the way I can. No one else can do what I can do. And I've truly figured out this draft process. If I maximize, if I can maximize all my potential in every aspect of the game, this is bold. I do have the ability to be the greatest quarterback to ever play. Imagine taking Tom Brady's intellect and Brady's preparation and putting it on a guy with Cam Newton's body. Why can't I be the greatest? The only thing stopping me from the only thing stopping me from it is me. That's what's driving me now. 
Wow. He went full LeVar Ball, man. He went yeah. full. Why, why can't they? Why can't they be the best? And then he immediately tweets out, sheesh, way out of context, but all right. What what's that mean? What's taken out of context there? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I, I, look, I'm a Kanye fan, right? Like, yeah. you can be an arrogant prick. That's fine. But, like, at least believe it. Like, if you could, if you could sell yourself on that and you could sell me on that, I'm totally fine with that. The problem is, like, he's backtracking. Like you said, I mean, he's backtracking. That that's gonna be the that's gonna be the big issue. We've seen how NFL scouts work. Like his exact reaction right there is like the definition of what they're gonna throw at him with fake tough guy, and like they're gonna question about him as a leader, all sorts of stuff like that. Even though we've seen that kind of go, you know, the NFL is not right on that often, but the NFL is gonna do it anyway, and it's gonna affect his draft stock. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the like a dog that's always afraid of. Uh, afraid of things and then one time it tries to i guess like show its chest and bare its teeth a little bit and you challenge it you challenge a dog on that and it backs down and that that's kind of what this this quote uh felt like and then his reaction to the quote being out there i mean there's nothing really to take out of context like it's right there you called out Mahomes, said you could be brady and cam newton's body i don't really get what you're, you're saying is out of context there and it just it makes me think like where where is this dude like mentally i don't want to be a twitter uh psychologist but he just seems like a strange dude i see that but i just we've talked about this before and you've said it's different but the the thing that just keeps coming back to my mind is Derek carr right like it's without the direct situations if you talk about it vaguely right like he checks off every single box that Derek carr had and that's why Derek carr went in the second round is probably the best quarterback in that draft class right now yeah uh did you see uh, Anthony Brown's tattoo today? The, was he the is he the Cowboys corner with the chip on the shoulder thing? Yeah, <laughs> that thing's disgusting, man. That's horrible. It's, I think it might be the worst tattoo I've ever seen in my life. So for people who don't know, Anthony- uh, I, look, listen. There are people who have tattoos on their arms that are dedicated to Husto. Okay, um, I, I don't. So, think we, we don't need sec- to, at least we don't need to dive into that. But uh, the second, it's fine. Second worst tattoo. I mean, so he says he has a chip on his shoulder. So this dude goes out to the tattoo parlor, I guess, and gets a like a Ruffles chip <laughs> tattooed on his back shoulder, like like a, a Pringles Ruffles Lay's. Dude has a chip on his shoulder, and underneath it says one eight nine. I don't know what the one eight nine stands for. Was that the the? I assume it's his area code. Oh, is it? Cause he was, I, he was, I just assumed three-digit numbers are area codes. Well, he was a six-round pick, so I'm guessing that 189 uh, is probably where he was drafted in the sixth round. Makes sense, but damn, dude. You got a chip on your – like a little – like you got a potato chip on your shoulder. Yeah, he was a, he was the 189th pick in last year's draft. And I, I, I don't like tattoo shaming because I feel like everyone – has their own stories behind their tattoos and why they got their stuff. But dude, this is, this is beyond corny. I think (laughs) that, that, that one's my favorite uh, story since I think it was, was it Ethan, Ethan Westbrooks, the dude who got the face tattoo and was like, I got a face tattoo. So I would motivate myself and like, never get a, like knowing the fact that I would never get another normal job in my life. Like this is what pushed me further in football. Yeah. It, Football, the the Bill Parcells quote: "Football is not a game for the well-adjusted." When you see stuff like that, and you see this guy tattoo a chip on his shoulder, it makes sense that these guys are just kind of off the walls a little bit. Speaking of not well-adjusted, uh, let's talk about drug tests. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes straight. Let's see that awesome segue. Um, so it came out that Ruben Foster uh, had a diluted drug test, like Keenan Allen did, right uh, back in the day. Um, but I want to talk about drug tests just kind of in general. Uh, the media doesn't know everyone who fails drug tests, man. I mean, like, we don't so, know anyone the, until they tell us, right? <laughs> and they tell, they tell us. So we had things leaked on like Keenan Allen and Justin Houston stuff prior to 2014 or prior to 2015. Yeah, 2015. I'm going to get these numbers right. Uh, starting that year, the NFL really tried to crack down on these numbers getting leaked. It's the same way Bob McGinn's the only guy who has these Wonderlick numbers, right? Like, no no, no other reporter in the NFL is getting these out, and it's because, you know, the NFL doesn't want these things out. Um, the only two guys in the past three draft classes who have failed drug tests and have come out 
you know, and, and it's come out to the media that they failed drug tests are Randy Gregory and Ruben Foster, and both of them went to NFL.com and tried to get ahead of the fact that they were both, in fact, slipping. Do you think it's, like, a surprise that Ruben Foster said, I know this is going to come out, and then, you know, he's being mocked in the second round and stuff now? Like, he knows that he's going to go in the second round, and it's probably not just because of a diluted drug test, um, but it's going to be something that's talked about, so that's why he got ahead of it. It's the same thing with Randy Gregory. Randy Gregory and Ruben Foster were the only, like, top you know, 10 mocked guys who failed the drug test and, you know, at least right now are expected to slip down to, like, day two of the draft. Yeah, Ruben Foster has had a horrendous pre-draft process. Just the worst. And, like, because he was, like, people were talking, I, and we had, y'all made fun of me when I said O.J. Howard was going to go ahead of Ruben Foster, remember? And, like, I, mean, I know there's, like, a whole bunch of stuff, but, like, that's where we were with Ruben Foster at the time, where we were talking about him as, you know, number two to San Francisco. Um, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. So uh, that's very odd. I actually got a – I got a DM from a guy who I guess you'd say consults with NFL teams, and he goes, RE failed drug test. Literally dozens of guys in that bucket every year. Penalty of – penalty of um are productive. Plenty of them. Can damn, you read? Plenty of them are yeah, – no, nah, it's bad. Uh, plenty of them are productive in the NFL, and a big percentage of them continue to use in the NFL. Even been some pretty big names on that list as well. Even some relatively quote-unquote clean prospects have that in their history. The thing is, like, this is almost the same thing where, like, Josh Norris talks about character concerns and things like that, right? Where he's like, the media does not have enough info on this. Like, you guys aren't doing a good enough job of judging this in the small samples that you guys are getting. Because, like, so now that we know the NFL isn't leaking drug tests to people right then like speculation comes for like certain players so like remember great Jarrett? yeah Grady. So we were do you say do i mean I we were huge. grady Jarrett? well i mean like do you remember him coming out of clemson oh yeah he was a beast i, I had a first round grade on him right and i think he was like what he might have been an all-american i can't remember right now but he was like that caliber of player uh he did well at the combine um i think he did well i think he did well in uh the all-star slate right yeah and then he goes to the draft and no one can figure out why he ends up dropping so like the fact like these are just things that people should stay out of because like then you can speculate and be like you know did grady jarrett fail a drug test because the thing is we've never heard of a sixth seventh round pick failing a drug test you know what i mean it's only guys who are t- who are top 45 picks who the news ever leaked out about before right and right now now the only guys who are are being talked about as guys who fail drug tests or guys who were projected top 10 picks over the last three years who, you know, with an accumulation of their background and this failed drug test are now going to slip out of, you know, the first day of the draft and they want to get ahead of it. Yeah. So do you, you know, we can kind of stay on this topic of, I guess, guys who have had a, a poor pre-draft process. I was reading a uh, Von McClure's article the other day about uh, edge rushers. The Falcons might be, uh, uh, looking out for the draft, and he said that they had taken Tim Williams from Alabama off of their board. Uh, I know, I think we talked about it on this podcast where uh, he had been seen walking around Alabama uh, smoking cigarettes. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, so not, 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 then... not the best decision making when you're a, a high profile football player at a place like Alabama, but. Where do you think that he ends up going in the draft? Because I, I, I could see him fall into, like, day three, you know? I just don't know. No, I, th- I think he's going to go day two. Um, crap, I can't remember who it was. Uh, Tony Pauline. Tony Pauline just came out with his board. Uh, he, he said he has two teams' boards, okay? And he listed their – their combi- combined, the two teams uh, have 28 prospects who are ranked as first-rounders, and then they had, like, uh, eight other guys – who, are, who would have been in their top 32 picks or something like that, okay? Um, and Tim Williams was in that next eight. So at least one team has him with a high second-round grade. So you would assume that he's probably going to go in the second round. Um, if we're talking about – I mean, a lot of these Alabama guys have had horrendous off-seasons. Like if Tim Williams would – we talked about this, uh, I think, yesterday in one of our group chats. Um, if Tim Williams would have gone to the Senior Bowl, he would have been the star of the show. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 I think he would have had competition with like Rivers in as far as like one on one performances go, but he definitely would have been one of the better guys there. Right. But like, I mean, 
let's be honest about the senior ball too. Like people go in with their guys. There were a lot of people who didn't like Derek Rivers, and there were pe- like you you saw this with defensive linemen especially right where you were talking about uh who's the kid uh montrevious adams yeah where people were like montrevious adams had a great first day and you were like what the hell are they watching and it's like so what we do is we i mean i do like you you ended up flirting with master for the last two days but i follow around the offensive linemen and defensive linemen and like focus on them because i think it's too hard to look at everyone right and like there are people who will just get glimpses of people right and they have their guys, so they'll make excuses for those guys. I think Tim Williams could have been, you know, one of those guys. People in the media thought he was going to be a top ten pick, right? So yeah. I think if he would have gone down to Mobile and even done a couple of things in like team reps when all eyes are on them, right? Um, I think I think he probably would still be a first round pick right now. Yeah, probably. I and I I don't think his combine helped him either. Even though, like I, looking back at it, it it wasn't was it really that bad, or were we just expecting more from him? Tim is the like the wor- the only person with the worst three cone in the first four rounds of the draft since two thousand five was Shane Ray. So uh, it was kind it was kind of that bad. Okay, well never mind then. Yeah, I mean Shane Ray's not bad though. He's okay. No, Sh- Shane Ray's not bad, and I think he can win in the same ways that Shane Ray did. I wasn't a guy who was like Shane Ray off the board either. You know what I mean? Like I think I had like a high third or something on Shane Ray, and I think I stand by that. I think guys like Danell Hunter and like Frank Clark are better than him. Um, but. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Where would you take Tim Williams? Because I think I would still take him in the second. Like, I think, I think I would take Derek Rivers ahead of him, right? And Derek Rivers is probably like my twentieth player or something like that. But then after that, I think I'm totally. I mean, he's a pass rusher and he's a good one at that. Like, you know, those guys don't slip for far. Yeah, I, I, I think he's he's probably going to end up going. I mean, I mean, not end up going, but I would, I would feel okay taking him in the second round like like the randy randy gregory risk uh last year like if, if i'm the falcons and i take i mean obviously we, i just said he's off their board but if i was running the team and i got you know an offensive lineman like force lamp or tail Moten, whatever in the first round and tim williams sitting there at 63 and i think we have the organization to kind of get him back in the right track i would i would feel okay pulling the trigger there just because it's yeah. hard to find guys who were as productive on a snap to snap basis as were as Tim Williams was in college. Dude, there there a lot he would be the number one pass rusher on a lot of teams, and he would be the number two pass rusher on damn near every single NFL team. So like I said, I mean that that dude's that dude's starting the moment he gets in. People talk about him being a twenty three year old. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. All right. Uh anything else we want to touch on before we swing it over to our pal PFF Steve? Uh, nah, let's just send it to him. Let's do it. PFF Steve, uh, Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. Uh, he's going to talk to us about uh, college grades, what they do, how it's different than the raw numbers that they have, and kind of their whole process in general. Yeah, we're going to ask some stupid questions too because this is what we like to do on this podcast. So we'll be right back with PFF Steve, P- Steve Palazzolo. Uh, <laughs> see you guys in a second. back with our guest Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. He's the senior analyst at PFF and PFF College. Say what's up to the people, Steve. What's up, people? How are we doing? It's, thanks for having me, guys. It's about time. Yeah, we, we waited way too long to, to get Steve onto the show, but we're happy to have him today. He carved out some time for us in his busy schedule. We inch closer and closer to the draft, and I wish it would just come and end already. I think it's time. I think, aren't, aren't we all ready? I think yeah. it's time. Let's let's find out where everybody's going, and then we can overanalyze everybody's fit. Exactly. Um, so, like we usually do with our guests, we have a host of questions for PFF Steve. Uh, we did not get any serious questions at first, so I had to send that out again. And uh, we got some real questions this time. So, first, from Ryan Burns at Football Sickness. How, given varying sample sizes and offensive schemes, does PFF analyze the 2017 quarterback prospects? Trying to see it in 3D, if that makes sense. Oh boy, the stupid quarterbacks—they're all—they're all all over the place. And I, I think the 
I think the biggest thing is when you look at all the other draft analysts and everybody's got a different quarterback atop their board. You know, you, you know, Charles loves Watson and other guys love Kaiser and other people love Mahomes and some people love Trubisky. And I think that kind of sums it up. I think fit and scheme and all that is going to be a huge part of where these guys fit in. I, I like Trubisky because I think he fits in more systems than some of these other guys. I think Watson's a little bit more limited, Charles. I think they, you need a team that's going to play to his strengths a little bit more, adjust to him. And, of course, Mahomes, we know about his his adjustment to the NFL, not only coming from the air raid, with that, but with that natural playmaking style, uh, making so many plays outside of structure. You know, somebody's going to have to harness that talent. And then you know, I think Kaiser can do a lot of NFL things, but just needs that that week-to-week consistency, down-to-down consistency that he hasn't really showed, I don't think, at any point in his tenure at start, as starter at, at Notre Dame. So, I mean, that's kind of my assessment of the class and, uh, you know, fit and scheme and coaching staff is going to be huge, I think, to determine which of these guys has the best career. I didn't mention Davis Webb. Is Davis Webb one of these top guys? No, but he might. Absolutely up, not. He might end up I know. getting drafted in the top two rounds, I guess. Josh Dobbs, too, right? First round? <sighs> I mean, I would take sure. Dobbs over Webb, I guess. Well, I he, beat, he beat Peterman. So, like, if Peterman's going to be a borderline first-round pick, right, then Doug I kind of – I like Peter. I'm always – I always say I like a guy. Like, I liked Paxton Lynch in the third round. I liked Mike Glennon in the third round. And then they all started getting first-round hype or even going in the first round, and then it's tough to like them anymore. But I don't know. I like Peterman in the third round because I think – he does some some good things that he could build off, you know, intermediate accuracy, decision making, does some good things. But man, everybody's getting first round hype now. Hold up, hold up, Steve. We got to talk about this. Peterman, do you like him because you guys still count his his shovel pass touchdowns as like the same same level as touchdowns? Like, oh, that's how, not how, the PFF so how you, way. <laughs> how do you how do you guys grade those? Because like that 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 game he had against Clemson, where it's like, yeah, he he won that game against Clemson, and he threw you know he threw four passing touchdowns and like three of well, them were shovel passes that went. Well, that was Geno know. Smith against Clemson a few years ago. Geno Smith threw for four touchdowns against Clemson. They were all shovel pad. They were all that uh, tap pass on the jet sweep. And same thing with Peterman. No, we don't grade those stupid shovel passes. Those are expected completions have nothing to do with the quarterback but when we went back we went back and charted every quarterback for actual ball placement and uh accuracy and and he did a he did really well at the intermediate level he didn't throw a ton of passes there because of that stupid system that they run but uh he did show very well 11 to 30 yards he was really good there so i think there are a few things that peterman does well that i'm intrigued by and i was surprised i did not want to like peterman at all and i liked him more than i thought going back and rewatching. All right, uh, and that kind of ties into the next questions that we have. It uh, from Ben Natan, the Ben Natan. First, how does PFF's draft analysis differ from its NFL analysis? And then the next question we can tie into is from Dshack at Dshack ninety six Dshack. Uh, why do they? Why do you guys have Trubisky over Deshaun when Deshaun has a better grade in their system? All right, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, we do have to go back. We are trying to add a little bit of context. Grade. So while Watson did grade better, uh, they were very similar from a passing grade standpoint. Watson had a much higher rushing grade. But I think the passing grade for Trubisky, we did not factor out the hurricane game against Virginia Tech. And, and while he did make some bad decisions in that game that had nothing to do with precipitation, that was by far his worst game. And I think when you, when you filter that one out, Trubisky uh, from a down-to-down basis, snap-to-snap basis, was a better passer than Watson last season. And then just from a pure, you know, we have to look at some traits and some various, you know, the, how how did they get to that grade? And there are some question marks, I think, about Watson. And, uh, you know, I know you got, you know, Charles, you fought this a little bit, right? The idea of him going through progressions and, yeah. you know, saying that's a fallacy. I, I do think that there is an element to his game where it's one, two and take off. And but I do think the the proper way to view that is not so much, OK, he can't do it. It's just we don't know if he's asked to do it in Clemson's system. So I just think there's a question at the next level if he will be able to do it more consistently because I, I really didn't see him do it often. And I like I like a lot of Deshaun Watson's game, but that concerns me a little bit. I think uh, pocket presence concerns me a little bit with him as well. 
All right, Steve, so I, I, have a, I have a question real fast. So we, we talk about with yeah. these quarterbacks, there's a lot of context that needs to be taken into account with their fit and, like, time and, all like, stabi- coach stability, all that stuff, right? Um, yep. So you're, you're a guy who ends up seeing everyone, right? So I, my question is, like, where, where do you want these quarterbacks to land? Like, are there certain franchises that you think are, like, ready to mold that second guy and, like, you know, have the front office and the head coach – and you know the ownership to go through it yeah that's a good question I, they're all the same though i mean it's like with mahomes mahomes or kaiser i'd love to see them both in arizona you know from a scheme fit standpoint and from a bruce arian standpoint you know i think i think watson would be interesting sitting behind tyrod in buffalo um i i think I think trubisky I'd, I'd be interested in seeing him in chicago uh, you know, so there, so there are some fits I think are good. I think Watson with the Jets might be all okay as a fit. You know, so there, there are some that I that I kind of like, and others that I almost have to hear first uh, to agree with. You know, when you look at the Texans, they need a quarterback, and I don't know. I, I was talking to somebody who's really familiar with all these quarterbacks the other day, and he said, I don't think the Texans, I, I don't think any of these guys fit the Texans or what Bill O'Brien wants. His robotic you know, guy that's going to go through progressions, guy that's just going to just run the scheme, run the system. I mean, that's not that's not really going to be Watson. It's not really going to be Mahomes. You know, pro, it could be Kaiser down the road. I guess it could be Trubisky, but there's no, like, pure fit for Houston. So a lot of it's the same teams. I'd love to see a Mahomes in uh, Pittsburgh. I'd love to see him sitting behind Roethlisberger and developing. So it's like a handful of teams. Andy Reid would be another guy. I'd just like to see him get his hands on a – on a Watson or even a Mahomes as different as they, uh, as they are as quarterbacks, because I think Andy Reid's develops different style quarterbacks. So there's a few different fits there. All right. Uh, we'll, what was that? What was go- that other question I needed to answer? Yeah. Before justice just completely interjected there uh, from Ben Aton, How does PFF's draft analysis differ from its NFL analysis? Yeah, so like our pure grading doesn't change. We still go through and grade everybody on the same system. The, the draft analysis just tries to add we, – we have to add a lot more context to it. So when we – you know, everything that we're talking about right now, it's not just, hey, here, here are all the grades. Let's just list them all in order. It's, you know, where did the grade come from? Was it just – was it against certain competition? Was it against certain style players? Uh, does this guy do certain things that we see that translate at the next level, some things that don't? So – I think it's taking those raw production grades that we put out there on a play-by-play basis and then just trying to adjust it to, you know, what what we're, what the NFL is looking for, essentially. So, you know, so there's a little bit of, um, you know, our take and our feeling on it, and we try to take as many of our analysts' opinion on it as we're shaping our draft board and all that fun stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, most of, it's, most of it's based around the production grade, but again, it's that, that process of adding the context and how it projects that I think is most important. All right. Uh, next question from Patrick O'Friel. Uh, this is kind of stupid, but sorry, Patrick. Your question is kind of stupid, but coaches Come say on, Patrick. coaches say PFF doesn't know the assignments. If you can't judge a player without assignments, then how do teams do it for free agents? I mean, what? I, no, what? that's a good question. I is get it? that all the time. We get that all the time. We had a former NFL head coach in the office the other day, and we were discussing this very thing. And he said, you know, if we're if we're calling this pass protection, how do you know this happens or that happens? And I mean, they're all fair questions because and we get these all the time at PFF because somebody's well, if you don't know the assignment, you don't know if you don't know the, play uh, the right. Call. You don't know the play call. There's <laughs> no way you could possibly know what a guy was supposed to be doing. And I, I think when you watch enough football, you watch enough plays. I think you know what a good block is. I think you know what a bad block is. What a good rush is. What a bad rush is. I think you can get a feel for what a guy's trying to do. The majority of the time. Now, the nuance that it takes to get to what he's doing, in other words, the coaching that he had that week, the game plan and all these different things, we don't we don't know that. But once the ball snapped, a guy's trying to do something and we grade him on what he's trying to do. And there will always be something. There will always be a coverage bust or a pass protection bust or something that is so bad and so clouded that we just we don't really know what it was. And if that's the case, we'll just kind of err on the side of zero or average or expected in our system. So we won't dock a guy. So that's how we do it at PFF. I think the quite, and we always use this as an excuse. We say, well, if we, you know, if we can't grade these guys, you know, how are NFL teams, you know, looking at guys for the draft, looking at guys for free agency, if they don't know the play call, 
And their answer is, well, we're looking at traits. And you can see traits whether you know the play call or not. But at some point, you want to know how well a guy plays football. So, you know, if a guy's, you know, if a guy's crashing on the pull, uh, you know, against power and he's supposed to be taken outside contain, you still could probably decipher if he's right or wrong. If he's, you know, if he's trying to spill it when he's supposed to be, you know, taking contain, that type of thing. So you still want to know that stuff. I think at some point you want to know how well a guy plays football. And that's how we're doing it. We're trying to judge how well a guy plays football. And I think over time, most of the plays, you could pretty much tell what a guy's trying to do. Yeah, I think when you watch enough, you, you just – I guess, like, if you're around the game enough and you watch enough, you can you can figure out what's going on in pretty much every play. I, I, I think learning the intricacies yeah. of some of these coverages is, is a little bit harder. But most I, – I would say most people that watch it as much as we do know, know what's going on. Yeah, and my, my question is always, you know, how many guys actually screw up their assignment on a given play, and how many guys that screw up their assignment on a given play are, are going to get a positive grade from us? I mean, that that's pretty unlikely, I think. So, again, it, it's a small percentage of plays, and you know, we've sat down with so many NFL coaches, GMs, personnel departments, and we've said, here are your team grades at the end of the season. What do you disagree with? And more often than not, it's like, all right, that looks pretty close to where we are, and you know, we feel pretty good about that. We had an offensive line coach just recently come out and say, we have access to all of your grades. We fired up the 600 negative grades you gave our offensive line, and we disagreed with 12 of them. So I, I feel like we're, and we continue to get better and better. So I think, again, the more you kind of watch, the more you the more you get a feel for it, the more we add NFL coaches to our, to our review process, I, I feel it, tie, like it ties things up a little bit better. Steve, I have a nerd question for you. Love it. Um, so... Obviously, you know, if you're willing to put the money up for it, you can get access to all 22 of the NFL, right? But you guys grade players uh, for PFF College throughout the year. I, I was just kind of wondering, I mean, are you guys getting sent, you know, coaches tape? Or are you guys, like, somehow being able to, like, gather every single, like, broadcast of, you know, these these uh, F- FBS games, you know, nationwide? Like, how, how do you guys do that in season? We do have an elaborate system to get – broadcast for probably 98% of the games. Um, anything beyond that, I have no comment. I'm going no comment. Okay. Okay. That's, that's fine. That's, that's fair. fine. <laughs> that's it. But we get, uh, we get, we get what we need. We get what we need to evaluate stuff. Yeah. Maybe we can uh, arrange a little deal. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> But, uh, all right, uh, I have a question for you. This defensive tackle class is kind of – it's not as strong as last year, I would say, but who are some guys that uh, I, I guess came out grading well in your system? Yeah, I like uh, Caleb Brantley quite a bit from Florida. I mean, beyond the talk, we love Jonathan Allen. Uh, Malik McDowell, if you call him a defensive tackle, you, we'd throw him up there. Um, I like I like Brantley quite a bit. You know, he was only I think 340 was the most snaps he's played over the last couple of years. Might be 400, but when you what I like to do with guys that only played a handful of snaps, you kind of combine them, and he's got about a season's worth or a little over a season's worth of snaps over the last three years. And when you kind of add them up, his grade is really exceptional. So I think Brantley's got some potential. Uh, Delvin Tomlinson, your standard Alabama interior defensive lineman who plays with great technique and. Uh, just wins a lot of reps. Uh, if you count Chris Warmly on the interior, I mean, the, the entire Michigan defensive line looked great, and, and they all graded extremely well, so Warmly's in there. And then the two guys that we're pretty high on, Tenzel Smart from Tulane and Larry Ogunjobi from Charlotte. Ogunjobi was excellent against the run, and Smart probably a little bit more balanced uh, run and, and pass rush, but both graded extremely well the last couple of years. But I agree. I think it's definitely a a lesser class, a weaker class than last year, but we'll see. Last year's class I thought was going to be better than it was. Didn't really transition that great to the NFL. I think this year will be a lot more telling if it was as deep as we thought it was. Now with Brantley, I don't, I, I, uh, I, I've noted that the, his snap counts are low, but I think that that's more of them just kind of rotating their entire defensive line. Cause wasn't everyone in that like 300 to 400 snap range for the like Florida's entire defensive line. Yeah, they do rotate quite a bit. I, I think, you know, they'll usually get up some guys up to the five or 600 range. But that was the same thing we noticed with Chris Jones last year. When you put, so I'll, I'll use our old grading system before we went to zero to 100. Last year, we had DeForest Buckner at a like plus 70 
on 900 snaps. And it was, so that's really, really good. And then with Chris Jones, he had about 900 snaps over a two-year period because uh, same coach, he played for um, same defense coordinator at Mississippi State, and that's now at Florida. And over 900 snaps, Chris Jones was about a plus 70. So it was comparable to Buckner. And we're like, wow, that's, you know, that's really good. He was really productive when he was on the field. I, I'm, Brantley wasn't necessarily to that point, but it, it certainly uh, stood out when you kind of put his grades together and uh, still would have liked to see him play a little bit more. But yeah, I think it was, there is a big part of that whole rotation thing at Florida. They do roll a lot of guys in and out. So with that in mind, do you think players who have, you know, a low amount of situational reps. I mean, obviously, obviously, like a situational pass rusher will grade better as a pass rusher in pass rushing situations, right? Than the average, you know, the average pass rusher, edge defender, whatever you want to call him. Um, but do you think low reps, you know, if you're using a situational way, so like the, the name that comes to mind is like Tim Williams, right? Where Tim yep. Williams was used probably a third of, uh, I think I referenced one of your, your your guys' stats. I think he never had more than 51% of the reps on the defensive side of the ball other than against LSU, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't remember the stat exactly, but yeah, he did not did not play a lot of snaps in over the last three years in particular. Um, do you do you think that if he was rushing the passer on every single down, he would be less efficient at it, if that makes any sense? Um, yeah, so if you're looking at it from like a raw stats perspective and like say pressure percentage than he would uh, in our system from a grading standpoint we kind of account for it because you know over the years we've we've just run all the numbers and it's easier to get pressure on third and ten than it is on first and ten and while you know third down's the money down of course you know you're you're the old pin in your ear is back you're going to get them versus having to play the run so you're going to get a higher percentage of pressure so our grading system actually accounts for that um, and you don't get maybe as much credit on third and 10 than you might uh, on first and 10. And the, um, the dropback of the quarterback is also a factor in that whole adjustment process. So, yeah, I, I think there's something to that with Williams game, but I think it just, I think it just like reveals to you what a guy's capable of. And then you have to make that adjustment on your own and you say, okay, if we make Tim Williams an every down player, he might not be as efficient. If we keep him as a third down player, we've seen what he can do getting pressure 26% of his snaps when the rest of the NCAA is doing it at 10%, which is absurd. So I think you just have to use that context to know what you're getting into if you add reps to him or take reps away and, and figure out what's best for your team. So how do you – now, same with pass rushers. How do you guys grade the FCS pros, prospects like uh, Derek Rivers and Avery Moss? So do you go back after the season and watch those after they build up hype, or are you guys charting FCS games too? No, we only do the FCS games if they play FBS opponents. So we have some information for the for the more well-known prospects. We will go back and do every game. So we did every Carson Wentz game last year. We did every Cooper Cup game last year. Uh, or you know, Wentz two year well, Wentz last year, Cup this year. Um, and then for other guys, like you mentioned, Derek Rivers and, and some other guys, it's more what have we seen at the all-star games and just going back and, and more eyeballing the tape rather than going through and charting. So it's a little bit off, uh, a little bit off the cuff compared to what we usually do. But like I said earlier, the draft process, as far as like putting our big board together and everything takes, you know, takes some eyeballing and uh, you know, it takes a little bit of weighing different things. So, you know, the competition level and what you see on tape is, is going to be all part of the evaluation. Steve, have you uh, have you elaborately, you know, sealed Albany State film yet? Because Grover Stewart, that defensive lineman out of Albany State, is probably going to end up being a top fifty player once you know the second contracts come in. I have not. I have not gone all in on him. What do you got? He he's very good. Um, Tony Pauline said all thirty two teams were at his were at his uh, pro day after he was snubbed at the combine. I think you got. I think I looked. I uh, Twitter searched his his name and your guys' college football account. Um, said that he got two sacks in the NFLPA game, which was the same game that Kyrie Thornton, the kid out of uh, Southern Miss, I think in 2014, he was drafted in the third round out of there. Um, athletically, he's probably one of the best guys. Essentially, he's like Akeem Hicks when Akeem Hicks was coming out of Canada, right? And oh, he nice, yeah. In, uh, New Orleans' first pick in the 2012 draft. Um, he's basically Akeem Hicks and has actual better numbers than Akeem Hicks, uh, but he's 20 pounds heavier. If you put him side-to-side with his pro workout compared to like Nada – 
and, you know, Brandon Williams and Don Terry Poe and just guys like that, right? Like generational nose tackles, like guys who can play every, every all three downs. Um, he's more athletic than them and he's larger than all of them. So he's a guy that I think he's going to end up being like the Rodney Gunter guy, right? Where like Rodney yep. Gunter came out of like Delaware State a couple years ago and everyone was like, who the hell is this dude? Like I, about I think six, he's five, gonna... 320 and everything. Yep. Yeah, I mean this dude. This dude's uh, like three hundred fifty pounds, moves like a linebacker. So I'd, I'd go go get that one. I will. We got we got our guys going through a bunch of the small schoolers now. That's kind of this week and early next week's. Uh, you know, as we round out the rest of the board and the rest of our, our round it all out. We got we're going through the rest of the small schoolers. So definitely make sure to check them out. All right, you ready to dive into some of these uh, goofy questions, less serious questions? Oh, geez. Sure. <laughs> All right. First one from our pal, Elron Hoyabembe at Magmar underscore 01. Hi, Steve Palazaza, LOLOL. Decent size fan. Who do you think is the most handsome draft prospect? Also, hey, Chuck. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, well structured question. Uh, who's the most handsome? Do you guys have an opinion on this? Mm. I think it, I think it might be Mitchell, but the problem is, his name's Mitchell now, and that's just not a franchise quarterback name. I think so that that flies in the fa- face of his handsomeness. I think O.J. Howard's pretty handsome. He's a handsome guy. Yeah. Justice, you have a you have a prospect you think Desh- is Deshaun Kaiser, Watson has a Kaiser good face like of the quarterback. I think Watson's Kaiser got a good like face a of the franchise look. Don't you think? Of course, I Watson. Do. That's my son. That's your son. <laughs> So, but, but Charles, Ky- speaking of beautiful, did you see that uh, Baltimore was voted like the number one ugliest city in the in the United States this week? Well, that's uh, a tough blow. No, I did not, but I am an exception to the rule there. Yep, Kaiser just came out and said he's uh, what a cross between Tom Brady, Tom Brady, and Cam Newton had a baby. That's what yeah. Kaiser is. Yeah, self-proclaimed. <laughs> that's uh, take that for what it's worth, guys. Yeah, that was quite the quote there. Uh, next question from, uh, Mike O'Connor at Jets underscore depressed. Is Jamal Adams the best corner and safety in this draft? <laughs> so I don't know if he's mocking some of our other PFF analysts who did yeah, make I, this proclamation. I is. assume he is that's where it's coming from. Yeah. Some of our guys really enjoyed watching Adams play corner, play off corner and play in the slot. And I didn't necessarily agree with what they were saying, but. And there's a little hyperbole there, but I think they're making the point that he can do a lot. And there are some teams looking at him at corner. So something to it. But I don't think he's the best corner in safety in the draft now. All right. Uh, from Nick Pasqualone, would you rather would you stand a better chance at covering Julio on a fly dig combo route or blocking Von Miller one on one? Oh man. Like me personally? Yeah. Oh, I I'd say I, I've got a better chance of blocking Vaughn. Yeah. I mean, I've got zero chance in coverage. I can, I mean, there's probably like a one in a thousand chance I could cut Vaughn. And I feel like that's better than my chances of covering Julio on any route. Never mind, fly, dig, combo, anything. So I'm going to say I've got a better chance of stopping Vaughn Miller. They were, I remember I, I uh, tweeted this out a few weeks ago. I was just bored. And there were people who were saying that. Uh, yeah, I, I could press Julio Jones like, dude, you couldn't get your hands on Julio Jones if you if you needed to cover him. Oh, people don't know. You don't you don't realize there's so many things in sports that just look easy on TV until you're standing right there. So like when you see a receiver get off press coverage right there in your face and how quickly that happens, that would change everybody's perception of it. Because on TV, it's like, oh yeah, I could press him. It looks it looks like it's slow and. It's it's fast. It happens really, really fast, really quickly. You could not press Julio Jones. Oh no! I was at the uh, Falcon Saints game to end the season uh, this past season, and when Keanu Neal had that hit on Willie Sneed, I was. It, it's like breathtaking how how fast and how hard these guys are are colliding into each other, and I I don't think that like the average fan gets just how how fast like even a, a guy who can run a four seven is really really fast compared to your average human so yeah you yeah, absolutely would, would not stand a chance covering julio jones i mean i think division three football looks fast never mind the nfl so i think that's an absurd statement that you could press julio jones 
Steve, are you pissed that like Adam Shaheen is like projected as a top 100 pick just because he's tall and you ended up picking baseball over football? No, I got no ball skills. Can't block. I mean, I did have the game-winning catch in the flag football championship back in 04, but, you know, it's all right. You know, Shaheen, he deserves it. He probably could play football better than me. I made the right choice. I made the right choice. I was too skinny. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he told me. <laughs> Last you question. can dunk on me. That's fine. <laughs> I can dunk. I can dunk on you. Yeah, guys. you're like Absolutely. five five. <laughs> five eight. Five I'm eight. Five eight. Like five eight and change. Okay. Last question from our pal Scott Karasik. As someone who is six ten, have you ever dated a woman taller than you? Good. Good question, Scott. Not surprised, but a good question. <laughs> um, not yet, but there's still hope. I'm married. But I still have hope. That's one of our rules. It was like, honey, if I find someone taller than me to date, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough choice. Yeah. Might be a divorce worthy event if I find that that nice 6'11 woman or seven foot woman. Shoot or shoot. That's what we like to say around here. Shoot or shoot. Winners win. (laughs) All right. You have anything you want to plug before we let you go? Uh, Probably just our awesome draft pass. I think it's pretty incredible. Download it. Get all your stats on about a thousand players, couple two hundred fifty player profiles, and stuff you can't find anywhere else, like Senior Bowl one on one rep stats. All that's in there. Can't find it anywhere else at ProFootballFocus.com backslash Draft Pass Seventeen. How much does it cost? So it's nineteen ninety nine, but I've actually been charged with giving. I can give your listeners five dollars off. I can. I'm allowed to do that. Oh, so I'm going to do oh. that. I'm going to give a little promo code, a little promo code for your listeners. What's, what's our promo Steve? code? You want to let him speak? You want to let him speak and say the promo code? All right, go ahead, Steve. Ready? PFF Steve. No underscore, just PFF Steve. If you put that promo code in, you get five dollars off the draft pass. The same draft pass that NFL GMs are buying. Prominent, prominent draft members, draft uh, community members. I'll say. Big draft, big draft people. Is that what is that what we're calling them? Yeah, yeah. They bought it. They bought it too. So I think it's worth it. There's All my right. plug. PFF Steve promo code. Get your draft pass. Enjoy it. It's everything you need for the draft. All right. Uh, hopefully, Justice and I can get it for the low price of three ninety nine. If you get my drift. All right. Well, send me your email. We'll talk. Okay. Love you. I can get it. To, I can get it to you guys. I can get it to you guys. Yes. Okay, uh, so thanks, PFF Steve, for joining us on Setting the Edge this week. We will be back next week with our pal Jeff Risden to uh, recap the draft. See you guys then.